Well, good morning once again. There was a famous statement made by a very famous person. I know, I'm quite confident you will know the person and you'll know the statement. I'll give you the statement first. The statement is, good grief. One named Charlie Brown made that a very famous statement. I think everyone in the comic strip used that expression, but maybe Charlie Brown in particular made it uh, what it is to us. But not using it in the sense that he would use it. Uh, a grief that is good, that really is good, good to have, desirable. I'm going to tell you this. Uh, I'm just going to be very relieved when this message is over. My brother quoted Tozer. I know that quote uh, is from The Pursuit of God. Um, this is from a, another place. And he says, I would say to you who are wondering about the spirit-filled life, if you just want to be happy and nothing else, you had better steer away from the spirit-filled life. The same Holy Spirit who will give you joy will also allow you to share his burdens and griefs. And this is very true, isn't it? The joys are wonderful, but um, the sorrows are there. And I don't think that any of us can be a spiritual man or a spiritual woman and only have gladness. That a spiritual man, a spiritual woman, will have some share in the sorrows as well. I was reading one place in the Gospels, and it was one of those times to take off the glasses and think about it for a minute, as long as you can still see, as was noted before. Um, I saw this little phrase that it said of the Lord that he sighed deeply. And then you just think about that, just to, to sigh and to sigh deeply. And we've been thinking much about his sorrows uh, much about his grief and the question that uh, I settled on to, to bring this morning is would we partake in his size uh, thankful for some of the things that have been brought up already that seem to solidify to me the things I'd like to share this morning they just go along with things that have already been said and are we willing to partake in his size are we really willing to partake in his sorrows and his sufferings and to nevertheless work. And I have to say that because the direction this is going to go for a while, I don't want to, uh, please give me the chance to finish. <laughs> I just say that, please give me the chance to finish. So I say that at the beginning, that despite the griefs, uh, along with the griefs, that we work. I shift a little bit to Paul. We know that we know that the Lord suffered and we know that Paul could even say to believers, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And boy, did he have his share of sufferings, uh, his share of persecutions. Concerning the salvation that he longed for Israel to have, he would write, I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. I believe him. I believe he meant that. I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart as he longed for their salvation. 
But what's so interesting is to know that much of his sorrow also came from the church, the assembly of Jesus Christ. It weighed on him heavily. You know how he listed uh, all of the things that he had gone through, the shipwrecks he had, how many times he'd been beaten. And um, I like, I mean, it's a bit of a mysterious statement how many times he died and deaths often. Uh, I don't know if that's what he means. I just know that one time he went out, they carried him out of the city as though he was dead after having been stoned. And uh, well, they went out to him and he got up and he went back into the city. <laughs> You're like, oh. They just stoned you. Maybe move along. I don't know. But in any case, all of his sufferings, he says at the end of that list, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Another translates it this way. Besides those things that are without, and boy, I love how these things just tied together with uh, some of the other thoughts I've shared with you this, these couple of days. Besides those things which are without, the crowd of cares pressing on me daily. The burden of all the assemblies. And Paul goes on to write, Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble, uh, to trip up or entice to sin? Who is not made to stumble and I do not burn? I am not ignited with an indignation. I am not kindled with this fire of anger provoked by what is unfair or wrong. Take a look with me at what Paul had written earlier in the letter. If you would turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 1. But I determined this within myself that I would not come again to you in sorrow. For if I make you sorrowful, then who is the one who makes me glad but the one who is made sorrowful by me? I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy. Having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. How linked uh, his joy was with the condition of the saints. How he ached for it, uh, longed for it, prayed for it, gave himself and spent himself for it. And he says, for out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you. Have you ever written a letter like that? Out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears. Not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. How he carried with him a burden for the saints. And it brought him sorrow, it brought him joy, but it brought him sorrow and anguish and tears. He cried over the condition of things. He says in another place, my little children, my little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. 
Another translation puts it this way. My born ones concerning whom I have been striving with intense effort and anguish until Christ be outwardly expressed in you. And we certainly all remember the uh, most heartbreaking words of Paul to the elders in the assembly at Ephesus. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Oh, how he suffered. True, truly suffered with tears in anguish over the church. His care for the saints is inspiring. His aching. I noticed recently to my delight Uh, That on one of Paul's trips, on one of his missionary journeys, we find him saying to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. So the churches, it says later, were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. How this weighed upon him. This is the bride, you know, this is the bride of Christ. And what does it mean to the Lord? Well, then... Ought it not to mean much to those who belong to the Lord, who are a part of the bride? And certainly it was true for Paul. It must have been tough to be Paul, but it was a good sorrow. It was a good sorrow. I'm entering into that a bit more myself. I am. And uh, Sometimes I'm sure that you can relate to it. It's, it's almost like you want to, it's not the word, but it's, um, it's almost like you want to use the word depressing. It's such a weight. It affects you. Affect, you know, it affects the way your day goes, depending on how heavily it weighs upon you. I remember talking to a sister, and it happened to be a bad day in regard to that. And so um, I said to her, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's just been a tough day because just the way things are, um, it just brings me sorrow to think about it. And before I had a chance to go on and explain any more, she, she said, uh, yeah, this world is really bad. And uh, she went on to talk about the things in the world. And um, I said to her, I, I was actually talking about the church. And I know that I'm not the only one that's been spoken of here already. It's been prayed about. Other Christian writers have said these things in their observations. This first one by C.H. McIntosh, he says, No one who sincerely desires to attain in his own person or promote in others a purer and more elevated discipleship can possibly contemplate the Christianity of the present day without an indescribable feeling of sadness and heaviness. Its tone is so excessively low, its aspect so sickly, and its spirit so enfeebled that one is at times tempted to despair of anything like a true and faithful witness of an absent Lord. Andrew Murray 
The need for God's people and the call for God's interposition is as urgent in our days as it was in the time of Isaiah. There is now, as there was then, as there has been at all times, a remnant that seek God with their whole heart. But if we look at Christendom as a whole, at the state of the Church of Christ, there is an infinite cause for beseeching God to rend the heavens and come down. Look at the ministry, how much it is in the wisdom of man and of literary culture, how little in the demonstration of the spirit and of power. Think of the unity of the body, how little there is of the manifestation of the power of a heavenly love binding God's children into one. Think of holiness. How little the world sees that they have men, I'd say, and women among them who live in Christ in heaven, in whom Christ in heaven live. It brought to mind another quote that Tozer, at, uh, he laments at one part that the inability at times for the church to be able to discern what the difference between someone who has a dynamic personality and the power of the, of the Spirit of God. And that even our brother said there's those who ought not to be ministering the Word of God. They shouldn't be doing it. This next one, I, I, I hope you won't mind. I'm going to read a little bit from him. And I pray that you will hear his heart. Uh, I pray that you will hear his heart. Um, His name, you know, was John Nelson Darby. He said, This painful sense of our immense distance from the genuine exhibition of the purpose of God in his church, this looking after his power and glory ought to lead us to thankfulness that he still thus deals with us and to receive it as a pledge of that faithfulness which shall make the people of God in due time shine in the glory of the Lord. Even all creation is groaning for this. It should lead us also assiduously to seek what is the mind of Christ as to the path of believers in the present day, that it may be, though not exactly according to their own desires, yet perfectly according to what his present will concerning them is. Am I desiring believers to correct the churches? I am beseeching them to correct themselves by living up in some measure to the hope of their calling. I beseech them to show their faith in the death of the Lord Jesus and their boast in the glorious assurance which they have obtained by it, by their conformity to it, to show their faith in his coming and practically to look for it by a life suitable to desires fixed upon it. Let them testify against the secularity and blindness of the church, but let them be consistent in their own conduct. And as Darby publicized these things back in the 1800s, as he publicized his thoughts, he had some opposition. And uh, in this next part that I'm going to read, you'll hear him reference that opposition. It speaks about a pamphlet that was released, and he'll reference uh, what it was that someone wrote concerning his thoughts. But he goes on to say, Compare this state of things of which I have given but a sketch, these principal features admitted by all, with what is said of the church of God in the New Testament, in the Acts, in the epistle to the Ephesians. Is the dispensation in a state of declension? Has it continued in the goodness of God? 
Has the separation of some faithful persons changed this state of things? What conclusion do I desire to draw from this? A deep humiliation on the part of the faithful, whatever the author of the pamphlet may say. Here he will allow me to make an observation. He complains that I say we in speaking of the state of the church and of its misery and its ruin. He himself has been faithful, he says. Be it so, I deny it not. I bless God for it. But for my part, and miserable as I know myself to be, I prefer to identify myself with sorrows, the misery, and even the failure of the whole church. Again, this is not speaking of the failure of individuals or maybe even something local. When we realize the church is one whole body and every believer being a part of that body, it's with that in mind he speaks. I do not wish to add to it my own unbelief, but even if I had walked like these, even if I had walked like these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, I would rather say with one of them, O Lord, to us belong confusion of faith, to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. Neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he said before us. If I know how to bring but little profit, little strength to that which has fallen, though avoiding the evil, I will at least bring to it my tears, my sympathies, and my testimony, which the Spirit of Christ also seems to me to bring. Moreover, individual faithfulness does not prevent one feeling in spite of oneself the effect of the unfaithfulness of the body of which one forms a part. Although Joshua and Caleb in the end reaped the effect of their faithfulness, they experienced also during the passage through the wilderness the effect of the unbelief of the assembly, nevertheless not without consolations and a strength in their hearts which the rest of the people did not enjoy. And as I consider the condition of things, as many of us do, and as I consider the history of Israel, I see their similarities there. And I see that the testimony that they were to be and the glory that they were to bring to God and how he would say to them, you are my witnesses that I am God. And people were to look at them and observe them and say, this is a wise and understanding people, a separate people for the glory of God and how far they came from that. I mean, they didn't ever really achieve that in such a way as they will in one day to come. And soon division came in. Division came in and no longer were they even one kingdom with one king. They'd already rejected the Lord from reigning over them. And now they were divided and now there were two kings and there were two kingdoms. And then they were scattered. And to try and get things back, to try and even say that Israel could go back and, and accomplish what it was intended for them to be, we know that they could not do that. We know that they could not even go back, even in the days of the Old Testament, the latter days there, to go back to the days of David, to go back to the days of Solomon, to be a testimony to the degree of the faithfulness of it in that day. But there's hope because the Lord is coming. (laughs) The Lord is coming. And as I see a bit of similarities in the condition even of the church, of the assembly, 
it's the same a coming, just a different part of it, but we also, well, we also, yes, are looking for the coming of the Lord. And then we will be everything that we ought to be. And so will they. The nations are going to stream to Jerusalem and he will make them the head and not the tail and he will be their God and they shall be his people and he will be glorified in them in the whole earth and they will give testimony as he designed them to give and glory as he wanted them to give and so will we. And when one observes the latter days of Israel and the condition of the nation, one also finds what it is that God is looking for. And they are the same things, no doubt, that God is looking for among Christians in these days and in view of the condition of the church of God. I'm going to read to you from five prophets. Amos spoke in the last days of the northern kingdom about 40 years before the fall of Samaria. Zephaniah spoke in the last days of the southern kingdom. I think you'll see a pattern here, the last days. The last days of the southern kingdom of Judah, about 40 years before the fall of Jerusalem. Ezekiel also spoke in the last days of the southern kingdom when the Jews went into captivity to Babylon. Haggai, who ministered to the remnant um, in those last days of the southern, uh, uh, well, after the captivity. And Malachi, who spoke in the last days before the 400 intertestamental years, even being the last prophet for the nation before the appearing of the forerunner of the Messiah, John. And keeping in mind the condition of the nation at the time of these prophets and the recognition that the nation could not be restored back to what it was from the beginning, we want to see what it is that God was looking for among his people. One of the passages has already been mentioned these days. And the whole subject has been brought before us. What was it that he was pleased to see and what was it that displeased him to see? And we want to apply that to the Christian. I'm going to go through some of these. They're just a couple of verses, so I won't have us turn to them. We'll turn to one in particular. This verse has already been mentioned. Um, I don't know if it was yesterday the day before. Woe to you who are at ease in Zion. This is from Amos. He goes on to say, Who drink wine from bowls and anoint yourselves with the best of ointments, but are not grieved for the affliction of of Joseph. That should just that should hit a square on. Here in those dark days, what what was it that God was looking for? He he looked and he saw those who were pleasing themselves and seeing to their own needs. But he was looking for those who were grieved about the way things were and the affliction that Joseph was experiencing. He was looking for that. Zephaniah would say, I will search Jerusalem with lamps, says the Lord through him. I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish the men who are settled in complacency, who say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. I will gather them that sorrow for the solemn assemblies who were of thee, the reproach of it was a burden unto them. He's looking for those who are sorrowing over the solemn assemblies, many of them not even being kept, right? And sorrowing over the condition of things. It was a burden to them. 
and it grieved them. And he was looking for those. And he said, those are the ones. Those are the ones I'm going to gather. Those are the ones who I'm looking for. And this one I'll have you turn to, if you would, with me. Ezekiel chapter 9. And I just remind you, please give me a chance to finish. Ezekiel chapter 9 and uh, verse 1. Here we are. uh, Well, you see chapter 10, you probably have a heading over that. The glory departs from the temple. Um, These are dark days for the nation. Dark days. Um, The last days there before the captivity. Verse 1 of chapter 9. Then he called out in my hearing with a loud voice, saying, Let those who have charge over the city draw near, each with a deadly weapon in his hand. And suddenly six men came from the direction of the upper gate, which faces north, each with his battle axe in his hand. One man among them was clothed with linen and had a writer's inkhorn at his side. They went in and stood beside the bronze altar. Now the glory of the God of Israel. It's amazing how long he remained there. The glory of the God of Israel had gone up from the cherub where it had been to the threshold of the temple. And he called to the man clothed with linen who had the writer's inkhorn at his side. And the Lord said to him, go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over the abominations that are done within it. What is he looking for? To the others, he said, in my hearing, go after him through the city and kill. Do not let your eye spare nor have any pity. Utterly slay old and young men, maidens and little children and women who do not, but do not come near anyone who is the mark and begin at my sanctuary. So they began with the elders who were before the temple. Now, I don't mean to insinuate anything there by the word elders. Uh, It's just that those who were in leadership seemed to be leading in these things. Here they were, elders of the people. They're standing with their backs to the temple. They're worshiping the sun. I don't know if it reminds you of a church in Revelation. Here the Lord is not with his people. He's outside the church. He's outside, well, the call is to the individual. And he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And he's looking for that fellowship. He's looking for those ones who share his heart with with whom he can commune with in such a dark day, in such a last day. Who can I find? Will someone please let me in? In these days. And it comes down to an individual thing. Even here today, I know it's great to think of revival collectively. And we've talked about that. But we've also talked about revival individually. And we need to hear him individually. We need to see him individually before us. We are personally accountable. 
personally accountable for ourselves. We may be accountable for others too, but we are most certainly accountable for ourselves. It was Daniel Webster. He said uh, he served as a senator of Massachusetts as well as Secretary of State in the mid-1800s. One time he was asked what the greatest thought was that ever came into his mind. The greatest thought that ever came into his mind, and he replied, the thought of my personal accountability to God. The fourth prophet. Our brother read from this. Would you go to Malachi, please? I'm going to read just two verses before what our brother Dave read, but I'm definitely reading what he read in verse 16. But just by the contrast to see uh, what is put before us in verses 14 and 15. Here's the people of God, you know. Those who bear his name. Malachi chapter 3, verse 14. You have said it is useless to serve God. Hmm. And we're going to say this morning, don't anyone think that this is the direction I'm heading because of the condition of things that such a wretched thing should be said that it would be useless to serve God. Far be the thought. You have said it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? Now, this is what the wicked say. Job says it. The wicked say to God, depart from us. We do not desire the knowledge of your ways. Who is the almighty that we should serve him? And what profit is it if we pray to him? That's what the wicked say. Verse 15, so now we call the proud blessed. For those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. Such is their perspective. But what is the Lord looking for? He's very displeased to see that and it is recorded that this is taking place. But something else is being recorded. Verse 16, and those who feared the Lord spoke to one another and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name or who honor, have a desire to honor his name. I want to be, <laughs> I know we're talking about Israel here, but uh, I just can't help but see how it applies to me. I want to be one of them in the midst of others who might say, what profit is it to serve God? Look at the day in which we live in. This is something that uh, infuriated. Uh, what is um, Jim Elliot? It infuriated him. The perspective of certain believers that condoned inactivity. We don't want to say that. We want to be those who, despite the condition of things, we have a desire to meet with one another and to talk to one another and to serve and honor him to fear him and the Lord will take note and now I thank you for your patience up to this point because the fifth prophet Haggai Haggai who was a contemporary of Zechariah was told by the Lord to speak to Zerubbabel Joshua and to the remnant of the people who had returned from the captivity 
And in the Lord's words to them, we find even for ourselves a most encouraging truth. Chapter 2. Verse 1. Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? (laughs) You know, thinking back to days that were more glorious, right? I mean, even the church can do that. The church can look back in the scriptures and, and we do at times. And it's been mentioned here to look back and look at the former glory of, uh, of things. And, and how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, and work. Now, if that's not something to leave here with, <laughs> and work, despite whatever it is that's going on around us and the grief that we share with the Lord about it, and nevertheless, work, for I am with you. I am with you, <laughs> says the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. And you know, when, when the Lord get, when we suffer in a godly way, I think about our persecuted brothers and sisters, when we suffer as a Christian, you know what we can expect to have? The consolations of God. The consolations of God. And it's a consolation that he is with us. And it's a consolation that his spirit is still with us. And it's a consolation that despite the way things are and whatever sorrow we might have, that we can still work. <laughs> the Lord Jesus worked. I mean, look at, look at, look at the generation. What, what are some of the words that describe the generation that the Lord worked in? A faithless generation, a perverse generation, an adulterous generation. A wicked generation, and yet he worked, and his father worked. He would speak of a time of the night coming when no man can work. But that is not yet, brothers and sisters, that is not yet. If I understand it correctly, that is not yet. The Lord is still with us, and we can still work, even while we sorrow. So while Darby would speak of the impossibility of restoring the church to its original state, he would also say this. What then? It will be asked, what then must we do? That which faith ever does, acknowledge our weaknesses and take the place of dependence upon God. God is sufficient in all ages for his church. It is of the last importance that our faith should hold fast the truth that whatever the ruin of the church on earth, there is ever in Christ all the grace and faithfulness and power needed for the circumstances in which the church is. He never fails. If you are but two or three who have faith for it, meet together, you will find that Christ is with you. Call upon him. He can raise up whatever is needed for the blessing of the saints, and doubt not he will do so.
the consolation, I just basically am finishing up with this. I think I may even end a bit early. I think I've taken a few minutes each time, so maybe I'll end a few minutes early as we close here. The consolation, even here in Haggai, what a way to end. Look at verse 9. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. You see what's happening there? (laughs) You see what's happening there is in the midst of such a day as they were in, it was given to them to work. Yes, to sorrow that such was the condition of things that they were in. And as they looked upon the temple and sorrowed as they remembered the former glory, the Lord just picks up their head and says, just wait and see what I'm going to do. Just wait and see what is yet to come. And brothers and sisters, yes, let us have our heads down. Let us look around, but let us look forward. Let us not miss the consolation in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the sorrows, the consolation of what is still yet to come. And is not even the glory that is to come spoken of here not connected with the coming of the Lord? Isn't that why the glory of this latter temple would be even greater? Because of the coming of the Lord. Indeed. So may we hope and pray and labor for what it is that he may do now in these dark days, for he is with us and his spirit remains. So let us be encouraged and may we work, but let us not lose sight of what he will absolutely do when he comes. I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared. Whatever sufferings we share with Christ, whatever way we suffer as a Christian, whatever way we share his heart and we break with him, his heart breaks over things and so does ours, even those sufferings, as well as the persecutions, the physical persecutions, all of these things that we must endure now, they're just not even worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us We were saved in this hope and we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So I finish up just, you know what the Lord is going to do? I get excited when I read about Israel. I really do. I get excited about what it is that God is going to do with them in a day to come. We read things like 10 men will grab the cloak of a Jewish man and say, take us with you. We hear the Lord is with you. And the Lord sitting on the throne and ruling over the house of Jacob and his judgments known in all the world and the the world learns righteousness because of it. And he brings his people back into the land and they have the borders all the way out to the place he promised them and he plants them and no one will ever pluck them up again and no one will ever make them afraid again. And the Lord will be in their midst and I rejoice over what he's going to do and the glory that he is going to get through them. And then I say, what about you and me? (laughs) What about the church, Uh, the bride of Christ, when we come with him and he is glorified in us? And I 
look at myself and I say, oh, <laughs> this is what you intended. Oh, the end intended by the Lord. This is what it is that we hoped for to, to this change to be like you. And, and then we will look at one another and, um, wow, <laughs> look what he did in you. My goodness. And of course, to look at him in all his glory. What great things are ahead for us. And it could be today. Let's pray. Our God, there are so many things for us to look forward to, and we pray that you are, by your Spirit, by your Word, they were clearly put before us, that they are things that will linger, um, and if they, for some reason, fade at times, we get distracted by other things, that you and your kindness towards us will bring them back to our attention and remind us and have our heads picked up to look down and to see what it is that is ahead of us. And for now along with that hope and that expectation, that joy that we anticipate having and seeing our Savior and being made like him and glorifying him as we ought. Now we sorrow and we share his heart, we share your heart over the condition of things. And this is what you are looking for. And is it not even what our Savior is knocking upon the door in hopes to see in us that he may come in, those who share his heart, yes, his joys, but also his sorrows? May he find each of us individually, yes, and then collectively. May he find us each individually. And despite this, I don't know, maybe the word despite isn't the right word, maybe Along with this, may we be uh, very clear to understand that you would tell us to work, to work. So may we be at work, <laughs> may we be at work, and may we remember that you are with us, your spirit remains, and um, we ask for your help to have these things in mind. We love you, we praise you, and we ask these requests in our dear and precious Savior's name, the Lord Jesus Christ, and for his name's sake, amen.